0: you have your copy of the scriptures, let me encourage you to turn to Leviticus chapter four, Leviticus chapter four. Our text this morning will be Leviticus chapter four and continuing on into chapter five. If you are using one of the pew Bibles, you'll find our passage beginning on page 105, or you can use the green insert that's provided in today's worship folder the text is printed on that sheet of paper as well the moe's hardness scale anybody know what the moe's hardness scale is that's okay some of you do especially if you know you're kind of sciencey or have some sort of science background some of you you've heard of it but that was way too long ago and maybe there are some cobwebs there the Mohs hardness scale is a way of measuring and comparing the hardness of minerals and so the scale ranges from one to ten of increasing hardness so for example Talc has a value of one on the hardness scale. Calcite, three. Quartz, seven. And you know what tops the list, right? The diamond. The diamond is the hardest mineral. Well, if we were ranking some sort of biblical Mohs hardness scale, as we come to and continue on in the book of Leviticus... I'm not sure that we would put Leviticus as number 10. We might put books like Revelation and maybe even that long middle section of Job where Job's friends are providing him counsel and sometimes they speak truth, but in hurtful and wrong ways at times, those passages can be difficult. Leviticus admittedly, can also be difficult and mysterious. But hopefully, as we're working our way through the book of Leviticus, we're at least, in part, lowering it a little bit on that biblical hardness scale as we strive to understand this book, but not just understand it, but understand how it points us to Jesus and helps us to worship and celebrate Jesus more fully. This morning, we continue through the book of Leviticus and continue specifically working our way through the sin offering or the purification offering. We began this section last week. This week, we're going to continue working our way through it. Now, one thing that I ha- I don't know that I've explicitly said this yet in our study, but I do intend that as we work our way through, every word of the book of Leviticus will at one point be read in our worship gathering. We won't always be focusing in as much detail on every word. Some parts will call for greater attention than others, but this is god's word all of it it's all inspired it is all given to us for our good for our growth in Christ's likeness and i think it is important that we hear all of it that means at times there will be awkward things that we read it also means that at times there will be lengthier passages to read than others and this is one of those mornings where the passage is a little lengthier than normal. So, let me give you a couple of strategies as we read. One is to read along, that is, follow along as I read. Don't just listen, but have the scriptures open. Now, you have printed for you chapter 4, verse 13, all the way through chapter 5, verse 13. Those are two reasons. One, we finished up last week with verse 12 in chapter 4, so we're picking up in what's printed where we left off. But also, it's a practical consideration. At a readable font, that's how much I could get on two sides of a sheet of paper. So that's what's there for you. If you want to use your copy of the Scriptures, pick up there at the beginning of chapter 4, because that's where I'm going to read. So follow along, but also... As I read, keep your ears open, listening for two things. Listen for repetitions. Where do you hear God repeating Himself even in this section? But not only where do you hear repetitions, where do you hear things that are different? Wait, that's not like what we just read. There's something different here. Listen for repetitions and differences as we read the Lord's instructions regarding the sin or purification offering. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel saying, if anyone sins unintentionally in any of the Lord's commandments about Things not to be done, and does any one of them, if it is the anointed priest who sins, thus bringing guilt on the people, then he shall offer for the sin that he has committed a bull from the herd without blemish to the Lord for a sin offering. He shall bring the bull to the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord and lay his hand on the head of the bull and kill the bull before the Lord. And the anointed priest shall take some of the blood of the bull and bring it into the tent of meeting. And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle part of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of fragrant incense before the Lord... "...that is in the tent of meeting, and all the rest of the blood of the bull he shall pour out at the base of the altar of the burnt offering that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And all the fat of the bull of the sin offering he shall remove from it, the fat that covers the entrails, and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them, at the loins and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys, just as these are taken from the ox of the sacrifice of the peace offerings." And the priest shall burn them on the altar of burnt offering. But the skin of the bull and all its flesh with its head, its legs, its entrails, and its dung, all the rest of the bull, he shall carry outside the camp to a clean place to the ash heap and shall burn it up on a fire of wood. On the ash heap it shall be burned up. If the whole congregation of Israel sins unintentionally, and the thing is "...hidden from the eyes of the assembly, and they do any one of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, and they realize their guilt, when the sin which they have committed becomes known, the assembly shall offer a bull from the herd for a sin offering, and bring it in front of the tent of meeting, and the elders of the congregation shall lay their hands on the head of the bull before the Lord, and the bull shall be killed before the Lord." Then the anointed priest shall bring some of the blood of the bull into the tent of meeting, and the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle it seven times before the Lord in front of the veil, and he shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar that is in the tent of meeting before the Lord, and the rest of the blood he shall pour out at the base of the altar a burnt offering that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting." And all its fat he shall take from it and burn on the altar. Thus shall he do with the bull. As he did with the bull of the sin offering, so shall he do with this. And the priest shall make atonement for them, and they shall be forgiven. And he shall carry the bull outside the camp and burn it up as he burned the first bull. It is the sin offering for the assembly. When a leader sins, doing unintentionally any one of all the things that by the commandments of the Lord his God ought not to be done, and realizes his guilt or the sin which he has committed is made known to him, he shall bring as his offering a goat, a male without blemish, and shall lay his hand on the head of the goat and kill it in the place where they kill the burnt offering before the Lord. It is a sin offering. Then the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering and pour out the rest of its blood at the base of the altar of burnt offering, and all its fat he shall burn on the altar like the fat of the sacrifice of peace offerings. So the priest shall make atonement for him for his sin, and he shall be forgiven. If any one of the common people sins unintentionally in doing any one of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done and realizes his guilt or the sin which he has committed is made known to him, he shall bring for his offering a goat, a female without blemish for his sin which he has committed and he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill the sin offering in the place of burnt offering and the priest shall take some of its blood with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering and pour out all the rest of its blood at the base of the altar and all its fat he shall remove as the fat is removed from the peace offerings and the priest shall burn it on the altar for a pleasing aroma to the Lord and the priest shall make atonement for him, and he shall be forgiven." If he brings a lamb as his offering for a sin offering, he shall bring a female without blemish and lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill it for a sin offering in the place where they kill the burnt offering. Then the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering and pour out all the rest of its blood at the base of the altar. And all its fat he shall remove as the fat of the lamb is removed from the sacrifice of peace offerings, And the priest shall burn it on the altar on top of the Lord's food offerings. And the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin which he has committed." If anyone sins in that he hears a public adjuration to testify, and though he is a witness, whether he has seen or come to know the matter, yet does not speak, he shall bear his iniquity. Or if anyone touches an unclean thing, whether a carcass of an unclean wild animal or a carcass of unclean livestock or a carcass of unclean swarming things, and it is hidden from him and he has become unclean and he realizes his guilt, or if he touches human uncleanness of whatever sort the uncleanness may be, with which one becomes unclean and it is hidden from him when he comes to know it and realizes his guilt or if anyone utters with his lips a rash oath to do evil or to do good, any sort of rash oath that people swear, and it is hidden from him when he comes to know it and he realizes his guilt in any of these, when he realizes his guilt in any of these and confesses the sin he has committed, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he has committed, a female from the flock, a lamb or a goat for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for him for his sin." But if he cannot afford a lamb, then he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he has committed two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. He shall bring them to the priest who shall offer first the one for the sin offering. He shall wring its head from its neck, but shall not sever it completely. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood of the sin offering on the side of the altar while the rest of the blood shall be drained out at the base of the altar. It is a sin offering. Then he shall offer the second for a burnt offering according to the rule. And the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin that he has committed and he shall be forgiven but if he cannot afford two turtle doves or two pigeons then he shall bring as his offering "...for the sin that he has committed, a tenth of an ephah of fine flour for a sin offering. He shall put no oil on it and shall put no frankincense on it, for it is a sin offering. And he shall bring it to the priest, and the priest shall take a handful of it as its memorial portion and burn this on the altar on the Lord's food offerings. It is a sin offering. Thus the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin which he has committed in any one of these things, and he shall be forgiven." and the remainder shall be for the priest as the grain offering. That's a lot of words. That's a lot of foreign ideas that are strange to us. But as we have been working our way through these offerings that begin this important book, Friends, there's good news in here. There's good news if we will take the time to think about what these things are communicating, what the Lord means by these things, and how these things point to Jesus. As we strive to mine out the good news from these words about the sin offering there are two things that I want us to see from these verses. One is sin's facets. Sin's facets. So, some, most, all of you. You're picking up. There's a diamond theme here. Okay? Sin's facets. And then also, sin's cutting. Sin's facets and sin's cutting. First, sin's Facets. How does this offering point us to the facets of sin? Now, admittedly, there's some irony in the parallel that we're drawing between diamonds and sin. Right? Supposedly, diamonds are a girl's best friend. Supposedly, diamonds are among the most beautiful of all gems, and they are indeed beautiful. There is nothing beautiful about sin. It is masks itself, it appears good, it is enticing, and oftentimes there is a momentary pleasure in the experience of sin, but then the mask comes off, and sin is revealed for what it really is, and that is wickedness, rebellion against sin. God, There is nothing beautiful about sin. And last week, we saw two facets in this ugliness of sin. We saw two of its facets. One, remember we looked at different words for sin? From Psalm 32. We saw them other places, but remember Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Those three words point us to different aspects of sin. Iniquity pointing to the twisting of standards, and in particular the twisting of ourselves that sin affects. Transgression points to sin as rebellion against God Himself. Sin, the word translated there, sin, points to missing the mark of God's standards. And we talked about the fact that this diverse language points us to the complexity of sin. But we also began to see some things about the sin offering. And the, other, the, the thing that we pointed out last week about the sin offering is that this is an offering offered for purification, we talked about purification in a variety of ways. The sin offering brings purification in moving an object from a state of uncleanness, that is, absence of normalcy or lack of normalcy in God's created order, to a state of cleanness. We talked about the, this offering moves objects in Israel's worship practices from common to wholly set apart for God. But we also talked about the fact that this purification offering was offered to bring purification to the tabernacle. To the tabernacle as a result of or to address the sin of the people. And... As we consider this sin offering, there are other facets that chapters 4 and 5 point us to. The first facet for us to see here related to sin is that there are sins of commission, And there are sins of omission. Now, if you've been with us on Wednesday night in our Wednesday evening Bible study, this is familiar terminology to you. We've talked about this over the past few weeks in particular. But notice in chapter 4, verse 27, we see sins of omission commission if any one of the common people sins unintentionally in doing any one of the things that by the lord's commandments ought not to be done a sin of commission is you do what god says you should not do one example in the book of Leviticus is we've talked about the peace offering before, and part of the peace offering would be the worshiper and those close to him enjoying the meat from that peace offering. But there is a warning in Leviticus 7 that one who is unclean should not eat of that peace offering. Now, if you're unclear about that, clean and unclean, we're I'm sorry we can't get into those details this morning, but we talked about it last week. If you want to go back and listen to last week's sermon, I know that doesn't really help you right now, but just just try and hang with me here for a moment. But, but, the point here is, when they ate the peace offering, they were to be in a state of cleanliness. But if they ate, though they were unclean, and especially they didn't know it. They didn't know they were unclean. But then later they came to realize, wait a second, I was unclean because of this event in my life, because of this thing in our family's life, because of that animal that we passed on the road when we were coming to the tabernacle, I was unclean, he realizes it. The sin offering would be appropriate in an instance like that. Sins of commission, doing what God says don't do. But also, the sin offering addresses sins of omission. We, we read about those at the beginning of chapter 5. Notice verse 1, if anyone sins and that he hears a public adjuration to testify, and though he is a witness, whether he has seen or come to know the matter, yet does not speak. He should give witness, but he doesn't. He has omitted his obligation. The others also here at the beginning of chapter 5 deal with forgetfulness and not doing what one should, or has committed himself to doing sins of omission. The sin offering addresses both. But the sins of commission and omission aren't restricted to Israelites, are they? We also commit sin by what we say and what we do. Just think, for example, with your words. What are some ways that you can commit sin with your words? In what you say and how you say it to your spouse, to your children, you use your words, Ephesians 4, to tear down and not to build up. Now, I must admit that the old adage is true. I've used a lot of you's but you know what they say. When you point that finger, how many fingers are pointing back at you? Three. This is not just for you. This is for me too. We all sin with our words by commission. But we all sin with our words also by omission. How is it that we sin by omission with our words? Well, we can come up with a variety of ways. But just one way that would be appropriate for us to think about this week, is a failure to express gratitude. A failure to express gratitude to those to whom it should be expressed. It is striking to me. It is striking that the Apostle Paul begins so many of his letters to churches that have such sin problems with expressions of gratitude. Thanking God for His work in their lives. He is not so consumed by their problems that He is unable to give thanks for the work of God's grace in their lives. Friends, let us not be derelict in expressing to one another our gratitude. But not only does the sin offering point to sins of commission and omission, Another facet of sin is that there is the reality of individual sin if the priest sins, if a leader sins, if one from the common people sins. But did you notice that there is also the reality of communal sin? If the assembly sins... Now, there is some debate about whether this assembly is the collection of leaders of Israel, the elders of the tribes, or if this refers to the entire people of Israel, the entire congregation, if you will. But friends, either way, the point remains. It is a group of people who together have sinned. There's been a lot of discussion over the past years, particularly in our culture, about this concept of communal sin. And we don't have time to delve into that. That's for another day. But it is worth noting that the community, the group of people, can sin. Both by commission, and by omission. But also, what else do we see? We see that position matters. Position matters with regards to sin. We talked about this last week with respect to the high priest and his sin. His sin is addressed first because he is to be the representative between God and the people. And when he sinned, it affected everyone. And when the congregation or the assembly, when they sinned, it affected everyone. And the offerings for both of them were to be the same the bull taken into, whose blood is taken into the tabernacle. But then also we see if a leader sins, there are particular prescriptions for his sin. And if one from among the common people sins. Lesser requirements. Position matters with respect to the consequences and the significance of our sin. And this remains today. We pointed out last week that pastors bear a particular responsibility and accountability for their congregation. And so the question for me out of this passage is, am I more concerned about my sin or about your sin? If you look at the gradation, I should be much more concerned about my sin. I should get the plank out of my eye before helping you get the speck out of yours. Husbands, we are called to be leaders of our household. Ephesians 5 and elsewhere. Are you more concerned, husband? Am I as a husband more concerned about my wife's sin or about my sin? Parents, are we more concerned about our children's sin? Are we more angered over our children's sin or over our sin? Position matters. Those of you who are employers or Bosses, you have responsibility for someone in the workplace. Are you more concerned about the sin of those under your authority or about your own sin? Believers, are we more concerned about our own sin or are we more consumed with hand wringing over the sin of the world around us? First Peter 4.17 For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Judgment must begin within the people of God. Position matters when we think about sin and its effects. But on the flip side, it's also true position doesn't matter position doesn't matter in the sense that all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God and all are accountable to God for their sin we see this in the sin offering don't we because the attention is comprehensive from the priest all the way down to the common people and even among what we might call the laity there are gradations aren't there based on what they are able to offer and God makes provision for all of them, because all of them have sin that needs to be addressed. There are other facets. Time prevents us from digging into those. If you want to talk about more of those, we can, we can do that. But I want to point out one more, okay? There's, there's others, but I've got to at least point out one more. And it's this. Do you see that it is possible to commit sin and not be aware of it? Now, in this idea that is translated, this word that is translated unintentionally, there's more to it than a mistake. And just not realizing one is committing sin and coming to find out later, but it at least includes that. Friends, it is possible for us to sin and not recognize it. This is why we read in the Psalms, Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God, I need You to search my heart because I cannot search it myself. I cannot search it to the depths that it needs to be searched because my heart opposes even that searching. Jeremiah 17. Psalm 19. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. We can be blind to our sin. When we think about all of these facets, friends, this boils down to one thing. Sin is hard. Sin is hard. It is complex. Sin is hard like a diamond did you know that diamond diamonds and graphite are made of exactly the same substance 100% carbon in their pure forms the only difference is the way the molecules are arranged you can use Carbon arranged as it is in graphite, you can use that for a lubricant. You can use that for a pencil. You can use graphite in a lot of different ways. But don't go marking your standardized test with a diamond. It's just going to cut the paper. Don't use diamonds as a lubricant. It's just going to cut up whatever you spray it on. Sin is hard. What will cut a diamond? What will cut a diamond? Basically two things, a laser and a diamond itself. Those are the two things that will cut a diamond. What is a laser? We could spend lots of time thinking about this, and it'd be fun to chat about. But, but, bottom line, what is a laser? It's coherent light, coherent in four different ways. And we can talk about those four different ways over lunch if you want to, All right. But it is concentrated, focused light. Then there's also other diamonds. You could use a diamond on a lathe as it spins and put another diamond against it to cut that diamond. Maybe you've, I'm sure you've heard of diamond tipped saw blades or saws that are covered in diamond dust to cut diamonds. You can use lasers, you can use. Other diamonds to cut diamonds. The question is, with sin and all of its facets, what will cut sin? What will cut sin? Well, at some level, these purification sacrifices, these sin offerings, were intended to cut sins, but they were not complete they were incapable of entirely addressing or cutting sin. How do we know this? Well, one, the sacrifices were temporary. They were always intended to be temporary. How do we know this? We know this in part, we could look at other places, but we know this in part because of what Paul writes in Romans chapter 3 verse 25. He writes this, In His, that is God's, divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. He had passed the whole time of sacrifices. What is God doing? He is forbearing sin. He is, at some level, passing over all of those sins because the sacrifices were only temporary. They were only partial. They were incomplete. In their cutting of sin, how are they incomplete? Hebrews 10 verses 1 through 4. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. The sacrifices could not completely satisfied for the sins of the people. They could not make perfect the offerer. Otherwise, if they could, would they not have ceased to have been offered since worshipers, having once been cleansed, could no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. The sins were Incomplete. They could not comprehensively address human sin. These sacrifices, they were important, but they were temporary. They were incomplete in fully addressing sin because they pointed to the ultimate cutter of sin. They pointed to Christ as the one and only who can completely and forever cut our sin. Christ, as the cutter of sins, provides the perfect cutting of sin. Hebrews 9, 11 through 14 But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, Then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, outward purification... How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? It's not animals, and it is not any other human means by which my sin and your sin can be cut. It is only by the sacrificial death and resurrection of the God-Man, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Christ is the perfect cutter of sin because it is His blood that was shed, not the blood of animals. Christ is the perfect cutter of sin because of His sinlessness. 1 Peter one 18 through 18-19 You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And friends, here, Christ is the laser cutter of sins. Why is He the laser cutter? Because of His sinlessness. 1 John 1.5 This is the message that we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. That laser is concentrated light. Jesus, without sin, God is light and in Him there is no darkness. Jesus, as the laser cutter of sin, can cut your sin And can cut my sin in a way that absolutely nothing else can. But Jesus is not only the laser cutter of sin. Jesus provides perfect cutting of sin. Because He became sin. He became, if you will, the diamond of sin with all of its facets. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin. Like a diamond can cut diamond, Christ can cut sin because our sin was put upon Him. And many commentators think That what Paul means by Christ becoming sin for us, he is directly referring to Leviticus 4 and 5. That is, Christ became a sin offering for sinners like us in order to cut our sin. The question this morning is, do you know the cutting of sin that Christ provides? Do you know forgiveness and life in the Lord Jesus Christ? This morning you can if you will turn from your sins and cry out to God. I am a sinner in need of the rescue, the cutting of sin and all its ugly dimensions that Christ provides. I would love to talk about you, talk about that with you over lunch. If you would like, or this week, you can reach out to the office or catch me after the service. I would love to talk to you about how you can know the forgiveness of the sin offering the Lord Jesus Christ. For those of you who are here today and you know Christ, there are lots of applications that we can make about giving attention to our own sin. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will help you to reflect back and make some of those applications in your position, sin of commission and omission. But one this morning as we approach the Thanksgiving season. Friends, let us not commit the sin of omission, of neglecting to express to God our gratitude for the fact that He has given His Son to be our sin offering. And let us not, let us not commit the sin of omission, of neglecting to share with others the hope and the joy and the freedom that we have found in Christ. Let us declare that indeed, our hearts are filled with thankfulness because of Him who bore our pain. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to You again this morning, Father, we thank You. We thank You for the precious death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ in our place. Father, we thank You for the details of this sin offering and how in the details of this offering we are shown even more fully the scope and the depth of our sin problem. Thank You, Father, that Jesus Christ covers it all. Thank You, Father, that because of His identity as both God and man, because of His sinlessness, in His death He has dealt with sin once and for all. Father, I pray that if there are those with us today or hearing this sermon who don't know the saving love of You in Christ, God, I pray that today they would not harden their hearts, but I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them. And Father, for those of us who know Christ, Father, help us to increase in our joy, in our treasuring of Christ. Father, help us in faithfulness to express our gratitude, especially this week, for the Lord Jesus Christ. In His name we pray, amen.